Today we are going to consider Jesus as the king over chaos from Luke chapter 8 verses 22 through 39. So if you want to follow along as I read God's word, we're going to be in Luke 8, 22 through 39, considering Jesus the king over chaos. Hear God's word. One day, he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And he begged him not to banish him to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who attended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he said, sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to seek and save the lost, to seek and save us. Holy Spirit of God, would you put the spotlight on Jesus? Would you help us to worship him from the heart and follow him more devotedly this week? It's in his name we pray, amen. So we're considering Jesus the king, the king over chaos. Yesterday, uh, in England, King Charles III was crowned the right king of England. And today, he woke up and nothing was different in England. There's still trouble in his family, drama there that he didn't fix. There's still people who aren't pleased with him. And I'm sure... God bless the king. He's going to do his best to to change England for the good. But his authority is limited. Uh, One very uh, tangible 
way to see that his authority is limited is I was watching uh, clips of the coronation and the priest is putting this five pound crown on the king's head and he keeps adjusting it because the king's head is like wobbling around. He's like trying not to send him to the chiropractor at his coronation. It's like, this is a limited, frail man. There's only one king who's a complete sovereign authority and his name is Jesus. And in the next few passages, we're going to explore the authority of Jesus, his authority over natural forces, supernatural forces, sickness, and even death. Jesus has absolute authority. And in today's passage, we see it's one long day split up into kind of two events. There's a storm on the sea, and then there's an encounter with a demon-possessed man by land. And in all of this, we see that Christ's authority brings calm to our chaos. Christ's authority brings calm to our chaos. And we're just going to look at these two stories. Jesus calms a raging storm, and then Jesus will calm a raging soul. So starting in verse 22, Jesus, after a long day of teaching, he tells his disciples to get into a boat with him, and they're going to go across the, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. And they're going into Gentile territory. We'll see that in a minute. The place they're going has a herd of pigs on this hillside, which you wouldn't find in any Jewish town. So they're going to these places where Gentile people live. And these disciples follow him. And unbeknownst to his disciples, Jesus is leading them into a super fierce storm. I want us to just step back and consider that. Jesus is leading his disciples after a long day into a terrible storm. Following Jesus isn't always smooth sailing. I say that because sometimes we think something's going wrong in our discipleship if life is super hard. But in fact, it's the other way around. Jesus promises hardships and persecutions in following him. And this storm must have been super intense because remember, at least four of the disciples were fishermen on this very lake. They grew up being trained by their dads to be fishermen. And yet they're so scared by the winds and the waves that are just deluging their boat that they wake Jesus up as he's taking his post-sermon nap. And they're saying, do something because we're going to die. So Jesus leads them into this storm. And that, that's kind of messed up if you think about it. It's almost like a kind of a, a dad who sets up like a camping trip, but that's really rugged and hard for his kids. It's kind of like sick and twisted, like, come on, we're really going to suffer together. Um, Jesus is leading them into a storm. Why does he do that? Well, Jesus leads them into the storm to show them a couple of things. First, he wants to show them his power over storms. And he wants to strengthen their faith. So he has this power over creation. We see this in the first place that Jesus is sleeping during the storm. He's in full control. He's not afraid. He's not fretting. And the disciples frantically wake him up. He wakes up after, you know, a deep, deep nap. Maybe he's in REM sleep, you know, rubs his eyes. And he says, be still. And just like that, the wind and the waves calm down. And the disciples go from being terrified about the storm to being terrified about their rabbi, their teacher in the boat. And they're looking at each other saying, who in the world is this? That he could say, be still or be quiet and the winds and the waves obey them. Uh, 
for Jewish boys and girls during this age, and even some Jewish boys and girls today, they're studying and memorizing the Psalms. They're singing them together. Uh, and I wonder if these Jewish disciples thought of Psalm 107. We could pull that up here. Psalm 107 says this. So there's people journeying out on a lake. And God spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Imagine that. The disciples, a lifetime of skill on the lake, useless because of the storm. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 107 is speaking about the creator of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And now they're looking at this man, who's probably their same height, same build, standing in this boat with him, and he did exactly what Psalm 107 said. Their conclusion, the only conclusion they could have is, this man, Jesus, is God. We have God in the boat with us. And they were seized with a holy fear for this man. Jesus, after he calms the winds and the waves, he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? So Jesus is not only showing his power over natural forces, he's seeking to strengthen their faith. Now, it was a good start that these men went to Jesus. It's like any, you know, if you're facing Jesus, if you're headed his direction, that's awesome. Uh, but he doesn't applaud him for that. He says, where is your faith? That makes me think, what was Jesus looking for? If their reaction wasn't faith, what was Jesus looking for? I think he was looking for peace in their hearts. That came from trust. I think he, he was looking for peace in his presence in the midst of the storm. And peace in a storm is sanity for a Christian because we have Jesus, but it looks like insanity to the world when things all around you are falling apart. You might be thinking like me as you listen to this passage. Well, yeah, Jesus stopped the storm for them. But what, if, what about my storm? He hasn't stopped my storm, whatever stormy situation you're going through. Why does Jesus sometimes take away these circumstances, these storms for us? And why does he sometimes leave us in the storm? Well, if Jesus has the ability to calm a storm, he has the ability to calm your soul in the storm. Philippians 4, 5 through 7, talks about peace in every single circumstance. This is almost, a, we've made it into a hallmarky uh, few verses here, but there's a beautiful promise in here. It says, the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds almost too good to be true, almost utopian, with Every and any circumstance you're in, even the worst circumstances with sickness, with relational strain, with abuse, with whatever you're going through, you could bring your request to God with thanksgiving and he'll give you a peace, a calm 
It almost sounds Zen-like. Well, I want to encourage your faith uh, in, in this promise and in these truths here. And think about who wrote these words. Paul, the missionary apostle, Paul wrote these words. And here is a partial list of what Paul went through in his missionary journeys. I apologize, I don't have it up here. But this is from 2 Corinthians. He's reading his resume of suffering to the church in Corinth. And he says, this is what I've been through. And this is like half the list. Corinthian church, this is Paul speaking. Five times I received 40 lashes. That's on his back with a whip. Minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. Frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. That's the one who's saying in every and any circumstance, out on the open sea, you can bring your request to God and he will give you his peace that surpasses understanding. And if you consider where Paul is writing from in this letter, he's writing from prison. He's saying, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel and I could have peace in my soul amidst this storm. So here's a question for you to answer. Uh, you could write it down, maybe think about it later. Um, as we seek calm in our own chaos, whatever circumstance that may be, what is something that is causing you anxiety right now? You can think about that. Write that down. And then later today or this week, take that specific anxiety to God in prayer and ask someone else to pray for you. It's a deeply humbling thing to reach out to someone else and say, I'm really anxious over this particular thing in my life. Would you pray for me? Community groups are a great uh, way to do that. So if you have opportunity at your CG this week, just go through this. What's, go around, what's something that's causing you anxiety? And ask someone to pray for you. Let's, let's trust God and let's trust Paul as he's tested God and found him worthy and faithful that in no matter what circumstance we're going through, no matter what storm, we can give our request to God and through his Holy Spirit, he can give us this holy peace. So we see in this first part of the trip that Jesus is the Lord over all natural forces. So they make it through. They're all kind of shaken. The disciples are shaken by who's in the boat with him. And then they step on land and now... Jesus faces supernatural forces. So let's look at Jesus restoring a raging soul. Verses 26 through 33. 26. Then they sailed to the regions of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. The disciples and Jesus can't catch a break. They step on land, this demon-possessed man comes up to them, and here's kind of a biographical sketch of this demon-possessed man. We don't know his name, but we know a few things about him. Verses 27 and 29 say this about him. For a long time, we don't know how long, but a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. Many times it, that being the demon, had seized him. So the demon would depart from him and then seize him, depart from him, seize him. Many times the demon would seize him, and though he was guarded and bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. This man was a danger to himself. 
who is a danger to all around him, his past friends, his family. He was isolated. He was literally living among the dead in a graveyard. He was uh, uh, seized by this demon to break chains. He could no longer live at home, and he was an outcast. I I wonder what it would be like to be this man after the demon left him for a time. The fear that seized this man, the dread, the hopelessness. No one in this town could help him. Everyone feared him, and he even feared himself. He feared the demons. So here's this raging and this ruined man. And then we hear from the demons in verse 28 and 29. When this man saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For he had, yeah, commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So, what's amazing here is the question that the disciples ask, the demons answer. So the disciples say, who then is this? And the demons say, you're the son of the most high God. You're God's son. Like James says in James 2, 19, these demons have a correct understanding in a way of who Jesus is. They believe that God is one, but they hate his reign and they try to reject it. And everything good that God has made, these demons tried to destroy. Jesus goes on to ask the demon his name. He says, what's your name? And the demon says, I am Legion. So Legion is a a very technical term for a unit in the Roman army the best I could see on my Google searches uh, is about 5,000 soldiers, give or take 1,000. Um, and we don't know exactly if there's like 5,000 demons in this guy, but the point is there's many demons in this one guy. We, we know earlier from chapter 8 that uh, Mary Magdalene, she had seven demons in her that God liberated her for. This is an escalation. There's literally an army of demons in this man. But Jesus, he's not afraid at all of his army of demons. In fact, they're afraid of him. They're saying, please, please, please don't send us into the abyss. And the abyss from Revelation is the lake of fire, the final judgment. They're saying, please don't send us into the abyss. Send us into these pigs. What we see Jesus do here is amazing. So he has power over natural forces Now he's going to flex his power over these supernatural forces. He moves towards the man everyone has moved away from. He's not afraid of storms, hurricanes, social outcasts, an army of demons. Jesus here, he's outnumbered. Thousands verse one. But he's not overpowered. And he permits these demons, what they request, and they go out into these pigs, and these pigs go off a cliff and are drowned. We see once again that these demons are bent, hell-bent on destroying anything they get a hold of. And so Jesus liberates this man from this army of demons, and he restores him. Jesus is the opposite of demons. They use their power to destroy. Jesus uses his power to restore. So the herds, the pig herders, they run off, tell all the townies what happened. They all come back. 
And the thing that scared them the most is, here was this formerly demon-possessed man. He's clothed, and I'm assuming Jesus clothed him or the disciples clothed him with one of their extra tunics. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, and that's language of discipleship. We'll see Mary later in chapter 10. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, and he's in his right mind. Maybe he's beaming with joy. Jesus restores this man, body, soul, mind. His mental health returns. His sanity returns. His honor returns as he's clothed by Jesus. And this is a picture of what Jesus does with us. Fallen, ruined people who have turned away from God. Our minds are darkened. We destroy our bodies. And God, in Christ, is reconciling us to him and restoring to us a sanity and relationship with the Father. Jesus was this man's defender, his restorer. He offered him help with his internal chaos. So there's two responses to this miracle, this deliverance from these demons. The town's response and then the man's response. The town sees Jesus' power and they're completely afraid. So they ask Jesus to leave town. They may be wondering, if this man was so strong he could break chains, and this guy came along and defeated the demons that were in him, what can this new man do in our town? They saw Jesus' power, but they didn't see his love. But the restored man has a totally different response to Jesus because he sees Jesus' power, but he also sees that married to his love. This man is filled with love for Jesus, and he begs him to be with him. He says, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, please let me go with you. And this is one of the greatest signs of a restored soul. If you're wondering, am, am I a true follower of Jesus? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to hear his words? Do you want to talk to him? That's a good sign that you're following him wholeheartedly. So verse 38 says, The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But Jesus sent him away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went. I love that. Off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus recruits this man, who moments ago was possessed by a legion of demons, to be an apostle, a preacher of the good news in his hometown, to people who used to be terrified of him, to people who have abandoned him to the demons. He's recruited as a hometown missionary. And I want to just focus here a bit on what it looks like to be a hometown missionary. We could pull up these few questions here. We have an awesome mix at ROG of you know, New Hampshire natives. Some of you still live in the town that you were born in. Uh, we have people from all over uh, the country, from the West, the Midwest, the South. Um, so I just want to speak to this idea of a hometown missionary. First of all, for those of you who are maybe living in the same town or area that you grew up in here in New Hampshire, this passage helps you re-envision your hometown and your purpose there. Uh, maybe you're loving living there. You're like, yeah, I want to be a townie till I die, right? Maybe you're like, oh, I see friends moving off. I want to explore the country. I want to explore the world. Well, wherever, wherever you're at on that, 
God has placed you in your town to be on mission with him, to spread the good news of Jesus. I want you to think about this. People are moving from other parts of the country to plant churches in towns like yours, maybe even your town, because the need is so great. There's people in seminary classes right now praying, Lord, would you send us to New England? Would you send us to New Hampshire? And God has put you, a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit and armed with the gospel in your town next to your neighbors. So join Jesus in your hometown mission. This is a call to not only think as a consumer in your town, but as someone who is giving your life for the sake of the gospel. And for those of you transplants like me, I'm from Mass, I know, boo, Um, but you've moved here, maybe you've fallen in love with New Hampshire, you're adopting a hometown here in New Hampshire. Even if you have a shorter stay, I, I encourage you to be fully invested in your town to play locally, to work locally if you can, to shop locally, you know, to recreate there for the sake of the gospel. Also, we see here Jesus' wisdom in his mission. This whole day trip, going through the storm, fighting through the demons, was to reach one dude. Jesus took his disciples through all of that to reach one guy who in turn would reach a town. But I want you to think about that. This one guy who everybody else gave up on, Jesus went through basically a hurricane to get through to him. Jesus made this man's spiritual enemies his own enemies. As 1 John 3, 8 says, the son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. What would it look like if, if you had Jesus' mentality here with a lost friend? Maybe a lost friend who everybody else has given up on. Maybe they're an addict. Maybe they've burned all their bridges. Maybe they've gone through rehab over and over and over again and it didn't work. The mental health system has given up on them. What would it look like to go after them with intentionality like Jesus did? To fight their battles even if they're not fighting. To pray for them even if they're not praying for themselves. And how do, we, how do we join this hometown mission with Jesus? It's very simple. Verse 39, he says, go back to your home and tell them all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Notice that. Proclaim all that God has done for you. And he sees, he sees God is working through Jesus, the Messiah. So he's going to his neighbor saying, well, I met this man named Jesus. And this is how he broke into my life. And this is how things are different now. So I want you to start praying. Who are those people you could talk to? Maybe who's that one person you could tell your story to? And to kind of take some pressure off, um, sometimes when we think about telling our story, that's like a three-hour coffee shop sit-down situation. Uh, Most people aren't going to want to give you that much time. Um, You can sometimes tell your testimony, like your story of coming to faith, but you could even tell a story of how Jesus has helped you this week how Jesus forgave you for your anger, for your lust, for your uh, self-sufficiency this week. And as you do that, as you bring people into your story, weave them in and familiarize them with the story of the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you and for them. So Jesus calls this man to hometown mission. And in these two stories, we see that Jesus, unlike King Charles III, has supreme authority over natural and supernatural forces. 
And this is the hope of the gospel. The one who has all the authority in the world also is filled with all the love in the world for you. So much so that he gave up his life on a cross for your sins to welcome you into gospel sanity, into gospel relationship with the Father. So you're either in a storm right now. I know some of your stories, some of you, what you're going through right now, and you would probably describe your current uh, situation in life as chaotic or stormy. Uh, Or you are preparing for a storm. This could be relational, physical, mental, financial. But just know this. Jesus is king over every single area of your life. And what would it look like to endure this storm while you make your request, your anxieties known to God, expecting that he's going to give you peace? This is a peace that's not worked up through meditation, through your own stoic or zen-like disposition, but it looks like peace that comes from faith in the king who has authority to calm us in our chaos.